Hi there. You are listening to Interconnectors, and I am your host, Misak. I am very excited to kickstart the show where we'll be in conversation with people who are making or at least trying to make some form of social impact, a positive social impact on this beautiful earth. And um, we'll begin with people in the spaces that I've been involved with, uh, with uh, such as tech, nonprofits and media but of course we won't just stop there we'll dig deeper wider and connect with a lot more people so whether you're tuning in today on radio here in LA or through a podcast app in some part of this earth I just want to take a moment and thank you for listening and also want to make you a promise that you will probably walk away with some insight that will that you can take and apply in your life or work um, to make the necessary changes, I think, to towards a more uh, better and better functioning world. Uh, so let's get to it. Today we'll chat with Paul, who is a venture capital investor in London. His firm, North Zone, is considered probably one of the top 10 VC firms in London, and they've invested in over 150 companies. And some that you may recognize are Spotify, LetGo, and, and the like. Um, they've done 150 so the two is what I recognized and I thought I would mention but if you look at their list it's long today's conversation though is not on the long list of their investments but rather to hear from a VC on a very unique topic so and the topic is that when it comes to having an investor listen to your idea or a startup um, these VC firms usually want you to, you know, connect with them through what is called a warm introduction, someone in common that the two of you know. And that's a great idea just on its own. It kind of seems innocent and harmless. It's not a bad idea to go through someone you know. However, when it comes to the application of the idea within the wider public, it becomes a little bit problematic because if you are a minority and do not really have a network, established network or you haven't gone to the top schools this kind of kind of keeps you at bay um, and and is and is very exclusionary so um, just to give you for example some data in, in the past five years only one percent of venture-backed founders of startups were black uh, 1.8 Latino 2.8 Malistran and 9% women you're kind of getting the the point here that it prevents a lot of diversity from um, diverse ideas, diverse thoughts from being able to get funding um, or at least even get into the front door to be able to pitch their idea. So recently, Paul and a number of other investors uh, kind of broke the whole warm intro requirement and simply put out their emails on, on Twitter and on other places and um, asked any entrepreneur with an idea to really basically get in touch with them. Um, and uh, and a lot have, and we'll get to know about how that process went uh, through this interview. Um, and what that does is basically just kind of breaks this whole barrier of warm introduction um, and uh, just opens up this space wider and, and creates a more equal playing field. So let's get to it and let's go have a chat with Paul. And here is his thoughts on how the venture capital space can be more inclusive. Thank you.
So the most important question of the day, I know it's uh, Friday evening in London. What do you have going on for this weekend? This weekend, actually this weekend is my wife and I, uh, it's our wedding anniversary. So we are going to be giving our lovely daughter to my mother-in-law and having a weekend to herself, which I think in, in lockdown environment is actually pretty, will be pretty good. So yeah, that's oh, wow. How did I know that? And in, in, intuition, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been on my mind to ask you that question. Yeah. Actually, like, well, it's also that's how I want to start. It's unusually warm here right now too. So it's uh, in kind of Fahrenheit. It's like 85, 90 degrees outside, um, which is really hot for London because there's no you know, no one has AC here. Right. Wow. Um, well. Uh, thank you for sharing that, uh, uh, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend and anniversary. How many years are we going on? Uh, I should know the answer much quicker than I just did. Uh, 12, 12 years. 12, 12 years. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Okay, thank you, Paul, for that. So you uh, tweeted that um, you were never you know, a fan of uh, warm intros. Um, and uh, you kind of gave your email out on Twitter for entrepreneurs and people with ideas to connect with you directly. Now, to kind of uh, describe what how important that is, is let's kind of talk about this concept of warm intros that happens in the venture capital space. Uh, would you want to say a bit, few words on that? Yeah, um, I mean, at its core, uh, there, there's a kind of a longstanding belief in Silicon Valley that uh, cohesive networks are the strongest when it comes to startups. And so if you can kind of tightly control, I'm going back, you know, you know, quite a while, but if you can sort of tightly control that network, then um, you have a bit better sort of signal to noise ratio. That's the theory. So instead of looking at 10,000 companies, you might be able to look at a thousand companies and if you invest in something then that creates a strong signal for another fund who then can do the next round and and the sort of it continues all the way up through to the M&A side and it also continues on the other side of the equation uh, when you look at the limited partners that invest in funds um, a number of them come from you know the same universities which then their graduates become partners at the funds and then their graduates become entrepreneurs who then the funds back and so it's all it's all kind of kept pretty closely in the family. Um, so I think the concept of a warm intro in business makes a lot of sense. You know, you're always more likely to sell a product if you can have someone vouch for you. I think what it does in this in the startup world um, is not healthy because it encourages what I think are actually false positives on founders, um, and it can I think has the unintended impact of actually leaving too many people out that have great ideas. Um, and yeah, I, I was reading an article on, on that too. It's, there's is a full article I put up, uh, uh, I was reading and I tweeted it out, but they kind of go down. Someone goes down on point by point on what is wrong, uh, with warm intros and you kind of pointed one. And one of the things that kind of caught my eye was that as venture capitalists, uh, the core idea is to find outliners, right? Um, and if you're 
kind of just within this insular network of people just kind of talking among themselves, you're less likely to um, stumble upon an outliner, right? Yeah. You're actually reducing uh, your your chances by doing that. Exactly. I mean, it, it does. I mean, I think the thing that, you know, if what I found fascinating is once I joined the venture capital world from the, the you know, over, you know, two, two, 20 years on the operator and founder side, after I joined and I got to understand the business of venture capital, it became a bit more clear to me why this happens. It's not for bad reasons. Um, you know, venture capital is all about getting that investment. And then a lot of funds are really focused on getting their first markup on that investment where the next fund invests at a higher valuation. So if you can do things, if you can kind of, you know, back people that have a higher chance of being marked up because of the same problems that we just described earlier, it, you know, at least on paper could, could look like your fund is more successful. But we don't believe that creates ultimate success in, as you mentioned, the big outliers that create the returns. Right. Um, so what was now get to your tweet? What was kind of the inspiration behind it? Were you were you the originator of this idea, or were you inspired by others? Tell me a little bit about that. No, I, I think I was like many people. I was just I felt you know I, I felt like I was aware of the of the core issues in in the U.S. as it relates to discrimination discrimination and, and racism. Um, I I encountered some of it you know in in interactions obviously not myself as a white male, but I, I saw it and it, you know, it was troubling and I, I did my best to, to, to counteract it when I could. Um, but I knew it was there. I think what I didn't realize is, and it's a bit embarrassing to admit, but I just didn't realize the extent of it. It, it, it was like, wow, this is actually much worse than I thought. And I thought it was, I already thought it was pretty bad. Um, so, so when I was kind of just researching and finding out what, you know, what can I do in my situation to at least, try to level the playing field, um, I came across a number of people that were talking about the fact that they're just excluded because they don't have that connection that can give them that warm intro. Um, and I started thinking about it and I, you know, when I reflected, I was like, you know, I, I pitched lots of VCs and I didn't have the pedigree that, you know, fit, even though I was a white male, I didn't go to Stanford undergrad and, and Harvard for, you know, business school. Um, I went to great places, I think had an equally good education, but I didn't have that specific pedigree. And I, you know, I, in a small way, I felt like I wasn't given the sort of same opportunities and I could only imagine what that was like for someone that really felt out, you know, out of that circle. So I think that was the one sort of bit. And the second bit was, I just looked back at our own, you know, our own portfolio and our own successes and it, it you know, we have one of our biggest outcomes, one of the biggest exits ever in Europe came in through a cold intro. Um, you know, so like the, these things can happen. Uh, and like you said, you're talking about the exceptions. So, um, so anyway, there was sort of, it was a broad view that these things are bad anyway. Um, a belief that we have as a fund, which is they also don't lead to better results. And so, you know, I said, why don't we just kind of get rid of that step and just open up you know, our inboxes for people to, to reach out and then let us as funds figure out how we manage that. Obviously, it created a significant uh, flow of deals in my inbox. Um, but, you know, I'm figuring out how to manage that. And that's a, a problem that's solvable. Right. Get more interns to, to go through those, right? <laughs> we have we have an intern starting on Tuesday. So There you go. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I love 
there, there's a word you say that just kind of stuck on my mind from the beginning. And you said, as you were looking at what was happening in the social space, in the social movement space, in social justice space in the U.S., you began to think and reflect. You used the word reflect, which I really liked. Uh, you said you began to reflect how, what can I do, right? As a VC firm here, there in London, what can I do? And that's so fascinating, I think, in, in, with this specific social movement that has happened recently, that how people all over the world are thinking about what they could be doing. Um, but I think the concept of reflection that you mentioned is more of a step. You took an action, right? You're saying um, you thought about it and you said, what can I do? Whereas, uh, you know, there, there are people doing different things. For example, you could have also donated, right? Mm -hmm. You could have, um, you know, put up a Black Lives Matter poster or change your profile photo, whatever. I mean, these sorts sort of keyboard activism sort of uh, activities. Yeah. But I think yours is more action-based. You say, um, you know, I'm going to break... Uh, one of the oldest or um, systematic sort of ways of that keeps people away and kind of open up the door. Right? Yeah. Um, well, no, I think that, I think, I mean, I, I, I sort of, I appreciate that. I think that that is the kind of thing that um, I do see a lot of people trying to do it in their own way. Um, and I, I think that's crucial. I, we, you know, many of us also donated to various causes and, you know, but I think that feels like, I don't know. It feels like, yeah, not, I don't want to say shallow, but it just feels weak. The first like, step. Yeah. The more we can do, there's more we need to do. As you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, cold intros, maybe the cold emails, maybe the new warm intros. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know, um, as you guys are reflecting on this as a firm, what are some steps or other things you guys have are thinking about you could be doing, um, uh, whether you want to answer that within your firm or, or, or maybe first kind of address the whole VC space? What could the, the bigger VC space be doing more to kind of open their doors to inclusion and diversity? Yeah, I mean, I think that the two levers we have are our own internal recruiting and the companies that we invest in. So I think everything else that we can do is, is pales in comparison to what we can do on those two fronts. Um, we, you know, one of the reasons I joined Northstone is, you know, from a, you know, diversity perspective, there was gender parity, one of the very few funds out there that had gender parity already. It wasn't an initiative. It was just organic, um, which I thought, which I thought was great. Um, when you look at other forms of diversity, we're, we're nowhere near what we should be internally. And so, um, that's that's a priority, and that's something that, that we are absolutely going to change um, as we recruit people in the future. I think the second front, you know, is looking at investments, and you know, we can. The, the reality is, and I'm, you know, this is just a fact, so I, I can't be too embarrassed to admit this, but I could count on a single hand the number of kind of founding teams that didn't have majority white male founders on them that pitched me in the last twelve months. It's just very, very rare. Um, they're not. It's not to say they're not out there. They're out there. I know because I've been talking to them the last two weeks. Um, but for whatever reason, they weren't coming through our funnel. Mm -hmm. And I know our non-partner team wasn't screening them out. It's just it wasn't coming coming through that system. So um, part of it is op we can open up our inboxes and let that be a channel. But what I'm realizing now in talking to founders that weren't kind of already in this network 
is they also need to learn some of the kind of basic terminology and the ways of communicating that would be taught to them if they were in that network. So how do you send that first email? How do you do that first pitch? Um, how do you talk about your vision? You know, these are things that groups like Y Combinator, they run training programs for founders to teach them this stuff. Um, so I think there is a second step that I'm thinking through right now beyond just getting access is how do we then give them the tools to be successful when you come through and you want to pitch a fund. Right, right, right. Um, I really liked the, the second tweet you put out, which was basically a very simple, you know, a template how to approach a, a fund. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, for example, a lot of um, diverse entrepreneurs, the minority entrepreneur would say is also uh, the communication difference, right? Um, Whereas the email you put out is very basic template. I think that's, you know, that's the minimum requirement. A lot of times there's this conversation that the communication methods are different between different cultures, right? So if they're coming into a meeting, they're more passionate or they're more fact-driven. Um, it, it could, it could ha a lot of it has to do with different cultural um, ways of doing things, right? Um, has there been any thought process on that and, and how... Um, VCs could be, you know, like you were talking about accelerators teaching um, uh, or training people on how to pitch to VCs and things like that. I think besides the basic facts and template, the rest is a lot of it is cultural differences, right? So, yes, there is the entrepreneur stepping and understanding how to pitch to a VC, but are VCs also not responsible to be able to be accepting of different cultures and different communication methods? So I think there definitely is part of that. I, you know, one of the things that we're doing is we're running internally um, unconscious bias training to make sure that we're aware uh, if there's something that, it, whether it's the community, like you said, the communication style or, or, or something else that's causing people to, you know, weigh their decisions differently. Um, I, you know, I can say with confidence that the, I would say not, I'm sure it's not every VC, but every VC I can think of will back any founder that they think will make them money. And so it's at the, it's really as simple as that. Um, there is no benefit to a VC screening a founder out for any reason whatsoever if they think they can make them money. So I think that. If I, I fully, I firmly believe that. So then, yeah, there's some conscious, unconscious bias training that I think we all probably have to do. But separately, I think it's really important that the founders figure out, in whatever their own authentic style is, how to convey the fact that they're going to create a really big, valuable business. Um, and that, you know, I've seen that done without a pitch deck, with just a product demo. Um, I've seen it with a you know elaborate pitch deck and a big financial model. There's all sorts of you know ways you can kind of communicate that, but that point has to come across, um, and so that's the bit I think that does need to be taught. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I like it. That you're saying it's a two-way sort of approach. Um, uh, now that you said in the past two weeks you've been getting a lot of uh, emails. Uh, and people pitching you, what, what, what do you think was, wh why were these people not approaching before? What do you think was? You know, I don't actually, it's a good question. It's a really good question because I've asked myself that. And I've, I've been thinking it actually wasn't that hard 
to get in touch with us. You could have guessed our email address. You could have connected to me on LinkedIn or, you know, messaged me on Twitter. Um, so I, I, I honestly don't know. It may have just been people didn't feel like they could or should do that. Um, and that by giving people permission and actually encouraging people to do it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, finally. I mean, I, I, most of the conversations I've had in the last two weeks with founders have just been, a lot of them don't even fit our criteria, but I'm just having conversations to help, you know, do it, help them to kind of like navigate their path a little bit. So I just think they're, you know, a lot of people are just starting from scratch and just, you know, an, a door opened, whether it was the door for them or not, and they just went for it. Um, but yeah, I, I hope, I hope that becomes more uh, of a common, you know, method of, of getting a hold of the VC is just to drop them an, an email. Right, right. Yeah, I, th I think you, you hit the nail when you said that there is this concept of permission, you know, there's the image of exclusivity, as you mentioned, you know, surrounding the whole VC space. So they felt like, wow, you know, I can connect. Whether it gets accepted or rejected doesn't really matter, right? Um, as long as they feel that they can connect with you. Um, now, you know, with the VC funds, uh, I know you, you mentioned you do a lot of Series A and a little bit of seed. Um, this kind of becomes an interesting question as more VCs are uh, going into more and more in Series A and and the seed found spaces, you know, where uh, a lot of, you know, minority founders would otherwise kind of come in, right? Uh, there is this lack that a lot of minorities have of the friends and family around, which is even before the seed stage. So what do you think is the VC firms can do or what can be done in general to ensure that diverse founders are able to have access to an alternative version of a friends and family found because you know, their network may not have that? Um, and then kind of you know, climb up that to, to Series A and further. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point um, because there is there are two steps before someone would typically get a check from us. It would be that angel round or pre seed round, and then the seed round. Um, and you know we can play a role in in helping get like there's a few companies that I've invested in at seed where I said I want to invest, but go find a great seed investor. And because I said I wanted to invest, it helped them get a good seed investor. So I think we can help on that front. Um, but, uh, I think you're right about the, this, I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have like the rich uncle or, or aunt or whatever that could back my startup early days. So I, I kind of understand that point. Um, but I, at the same time, there are more seed funds out there than ever before. And there's a whole host of pre-seed funds because the reality is the, the venture capital market has shifted towards being, you know, I would say the founders have the upper hand right now, not the funds. And that might seem odd to some of the listeners because they're saying, I can't get anyone to kind of write me a check. But historically speaking, VCs could have their pick. Now, when there's a deal they want, they're competing with five or 10 other funds. Um, so there is plenty of capital out there. There are plenty of great seed and pre-seed funds. There are some fantastic incubators and accelerators um, and there are pockets of capital that are opening up specifically for diverse founders. So hopefully some of that stuff helps. Um, but, uh, you know, it will also take, uh, I think, some really pioneering founders that have had a good exit to be that check, that first check in. 
um, to, to this company because again that's that's part of all the companies that have been successful from our portfolio they usually had someone write them that first check and it's usually an ind individual mm, wonderful um, and as part of closing thoughts what um, you, you kind of talked about founders uh, those founders diverse founders who are out there listening um, what might be some of their misconceptions or or their inability to give themselves the permission to to come to you what would you like to say to them um, in terms of the you know about about the bigger funds about yourself um, and how they gonna how could best approach you guys or what are some misconceptions you would like to um, clear um, I think you know what I well I would say you know your your best bet is to go First off, I would say, do, you know, do your research. It's, um, there are too many people that reach out to investors that are clearly not a fit, and it's so easy to spot. I mean, I didn't think it was this easy when I was a founder, but on the other side of the table, I mean, it's so easy to spot that someone didn't do their, you know, five minutes of research. So, you know, put a list of 100 VCs to, uh, on a spreadsheet, go through them one by one, identify, you know, the portfolio, um, and make sure you're a good fit. And then, if you're a good fit, then approach those funds with confidence. You know, because you're, you're, you might think, uh, oh, I may not be exactly what they're looking for. But if you fit the criteria, you are exactly what they're looking for, and they they want and need to hear from you. Um, they may give you a quick no. That's also part of their job. But um, you didn't waste their time. Uh, they very much need to have that interaction, and and it's also helpful for them because. They use that as, you know, those investors use that as input uh, to form their view of what the patterns are that they might eventually invest in. Um, so that's the first thing. And I think the second thing I would say is um, don't ever feel like uh, a rejection is a waste of time. If you're approaching an investor and you fit their criteria, you're not going to be wasting their time uh, just by having the conversation. And this is probably not going to be your first and last company. So, so don't. You know, don't think that it stops there. Build a good relationship. If they give you a courteous no, take that. Ask for some feedback, um, and then you know, drop them a note six months later and tell them what you're up to, uh, because maybe they'll back the next company that you start. Right, right, right. Um, and and now, kind of moving to speaking to your fellow uh, Macy, uh, VCs, uh, you mentioned two possible solutions to this process of creating more diversity inclusion. One was, you mentioned the elimination of, you know, warm intros, um, checking one's unconscious bias. Um, oh, and you also talked about the whole deal flow of about um, a hiring process, correct? Yeah. Um, what are some other, you mentioned about three I heard, so what are some other things VCs could potentially be doing um, to open up the space and be more diverse and more inclusive? Well, the, the next item on the list is definitely <clears throat> taking their responsibility as a, once they make an investment in a company, taking their responsibility as a board member typically and ensuring that the management team and the company really understands and, and executes on diversity and, and their hiring initiatives internally. Um, I think that's very important uh, because not only does it create a better company, uh, but it also helps educate people as to how to build a great company. So the number of founders that have come out of Spotify, iZettle, Avito in our portfolio 
that you know maybe were like a, a director of FPNA or they were a junior product manager, and then they go off and start another company, and they now have the Spotify playbook, and they can use that playbook for their next company. That's super super valuable. So if if you don't kind of bring those people into your startup or encourage the founders to do that, then that's really excluding I think a, a, a large group that can learn uh, the best way to learn. Um, <clears throat> and then of course there's the other bit, which is you know if you have a successful company, it, it creates wealth. And I do believe that you know the more diverse people that we can help get wealthy, the better the flywheel, the faster the flywheels will start spinning because then they become you know either you know more high risk founders the next time they don't need that angel check or they write that angel check to someone and that can create a really positive effect. Right. Well, too too beautiful. And and in the immediate, uh, I I. So from what I'm gathering, as you mentioned, board seats and encouraging, ensuring and encouraging that it is diverse. And, and in one of your tweets, you had also mentioned that you are, as an entrepreneur, you ensured that, right, that your teams are diverse. And as a VC, you know, you wanted to do some work on that. Are there anything else that you kind of uh, wanted to mention that will help the process of uh, inclusion and uh from both sides or either sides, anything that you don't think we hit on? Um, I, I think I think VCs know what they need to do, uh, and they, you know, we they we have the resources to do it. Um, we can widen our funnel, we can rethink how we source deals, and you know that might require some technology. It might require a few more people, you know, but it's all solvable problems. And so I would say that's step number one. I, I'm not. I'm a big fan of there being more capital available for more people. I don't believe that a fund needs to carve out a set of capital to invest specifically in diverse founders. I think it can be woven into the fabric of that fund. Um, and that is, in my view, where we'll have the most impact. But I, it's certainly not a bad thing if they also do you know, the carve-out fund. That's certainly a good thing, too. Um, on the... On the founder side, you know, just accept that the path you're going down, regardless of your kind of race, ethnicity, gender, you know, the path you're going down is the hardest path you could possibly take from a career perspective. You are statistically going to fail. And I think that, you know, understanding that and just knowing that that's the challenge ahead of you, it's not supposed to be easy for anyone. Um, you know, it's, it's, I know it's, it's harder for some and that's, that's not fair, but it's not supposed to be easy for anyone. So, um, you know, don't be afraid of getting rejected, do the best you can to learn from that. And, you know, most, most likely the company that you're starting, you're going to come to a point where you realize that's not the one. So like, don't waste your time, go start the next one. Uh, and if it's not that one, start the one after that. And eventually, you know, I have failed to find someone that was determined, that stuck the course over a long period of time that didn't eventually find some level of success as an entrepreneur. So you will get there eventually. Um, but just, uh, you know, make sure you don't uh, don't sort of waste time on things where the, the market and the signals are telling you it's not the right thing. Well, Paul, I think that was an uh, illuminating conversation with you. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for your time. And uh, I wish you luck for this weekend. <laughs> and in your, <laughs> Thank in your you. I, I appreciate ventures. you doing, you know, doing this uh, this talk. I think this is. Um, you know, I'm sure you're you're speaking to people that can offer you know more value than I can. But I think the content is probably good for people that that 
uh, maybe otherwise wouldn't have access to it. So thank you for doing that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you got some nuggets out of today's conversation that you can uh, take back and, and apply in your life. So um, see you next time. But before you go, uh, do subscribe, save or like or do something that uh, will keep this in your radar. Uh, so when we drop the next episode, you will get to hear it and be in conversation with us. So go ahead and do that. Um, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.